All right. Good morning, everybody. Thanks so much for being here today. My name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors here at First Free Church. If you are new, welcome. We are so glad that you are here. And a big welcome to all of you who are watching online as well. Thanks for joining us today. Um, it is so great to see so many people back who are back for the first time. It is awesome to have people coming back again. People are getting vaccinated and saying, okay, I, I can come out in public again. I can be around other people again. It is just awesome to have you here. So thank you for making church a priority today. It is great to be here with you. And we're ready to study God's word together. So this is gonna be great. We're in the parable series, as you know. And the question I have for you first, before we get into that too much, is have you, do you remember that show Storage Wars? Anybody remember the show Storage Wars? You know what I'm talking about? Where this group of people would go around and they would look inside a storage locker to see what's in there. And then they would bid on it to try to own the contents of that storage locker based on only what they could see. So maybe they look in there and they see a chest or something and they're thinking, okay, there could be coins in there. There could be some other valuables or they see a picture frame up against the wall and they're like, maybe there's some artwork on the other side of that. They can only see the back of it and they're wondering. And so they bid on this to try to see what could be inside and am I going to get um, a lot of value out of this when it doesn't look like there's much value at all. And this is not just a show, it's a real thing. People do this all over the country. John talked a few weeks ago about how the storage locker industry has been booming because we've got so much stuff, we don't have places to put our stuff, so we need a new place to put our stuff. And that's why we get a storage locker so we can you know, put our stuff somewhere. And what happens is sometimes people will abandon these storage lockers or, uh, or they pass away for some reason and, and, and this storage locker now has no owner, so the company will, will auction it off and somebody can come along and buy it. It's a crazy thing, and sometimes you do find some amazing valuables in there. Like um, there was one person who bought a locker for $20 and ended up having a bunch of signed historical documents in it, over 200 documents. Some of them were signed by President Hoover. Some were signed by President Harding. And so this $100 or $20, excuse me, investment turned into $10,000 worth of antique documents. That's pretty cool. Somebody else bought a uh, locker for $275 and they thought it was a bust. It looked like it was nothing but junk in there. They pulled all the junk out and what they found was this antique piano that's worth 12 grand. So that's a pretty good return on investment. $275 turns into $12,000. Somebody bought a storage locker for $1,500, which is a good amount for a storage locker, but it ended up having this in it. Now, all the kids in here, you should know what this is, but you don't, because this is how you play video games back in the day where you had to pull a cartridge out and blow it out before you could stick it in and actually play the game. Anybody remember those? You had to blow on a cartridge before you could play a video game? Yeah, you didn't just download it like you can now. They bought this for $1,500. They found $50,000 worth of rare video games in it. How amazing is that? There's one more I'm going to show you, and I'm, I love this one because I'm, I'm kind of a James Bond fan. And the movie The Spy Who Loved Me had this car in it that could go underwater. And someone bought a storage locker for $100. It had this Lotus E-Spirit in it, but they didn't know what they had. And so for years, they just had this car sitting on their property until someone said, isn't that the James Bond car that's got the fins in the back and everything? And it, they, in the movie, they made it look like it could go underwater. So $100... How much do you think this car sold for? $751,000. That's a really good return on investment. You know who bought this car? Elon Musk. Because he loves that movie. And here is what he said. I am going to convert this into an actual submarine. 
and you know he will. He will take that car and make it so it can literally go underwater with all of the crazy stuff that he does. So imagine with me for a minute that you are at one of these storage locker auctions. And the auctioneer goes up to the door and they cut off the lock and they open it up and the actual bidding is going to take place tomorrow. But for today, you get to look inside and see what is in this thing. And you're going to do that to a bunch of these. And you look in there and everybody else is trying to peek in there and see, okay, what is that back there? There's a bicycle that might be worth something. You know, there's a trunk. There could be something in it. There's this old dresser with a door that's like a little bit open, cracked open. People are peering inside. It looks like it's empty. They see what looks like a liner on the bottom of this drawer, but you know something different. See, you know that what looks like a liner is actually a painting. It's a long lost Picasso painting that's worth $28 million. And so you find this incredible painting. Everybody else doesn't seem to be reacting to it. They don't know what's going on. They just move on the other way. And you can hardly contain your excitement. You've got your poker face on, trying not to let anybody know. And you cannot wait to get back the next day to just bid on this thing and get this because it doesn't matter what you have to pay for it. You could bring everything you've got and it still would not be worth $28 million. So you go home. And you get all your stuff. You get your dishes, you get your clothes, you get everything you have. And you, you just have this massive garage sale. All your friends, you get on Craigslist, you get on Facebook Marketplace, you sell everything you can, even though it's, it, you're taking less money than it's actually worth because you're just trying to get as much cash as possible because you know with everything in that locker, it's probably gonna go for a lot of money, but it doesn't matter because what's in it is worth so much more than what you might pay for it. And you scrounge together in the end, you sell everything you've got and you've got $10,000, and you go back the next day, and you buy that storage locker, and you don't even care. You're happy. You are happy to get rid of your stuff. It's like Marie Kondo on steroids. Just give it away. Just joy, 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 joy. Give it all away, because I know what I'm going to get in return is so absolutely incredible. It is worth everything I have. You risk it all, but it pays off big. If the parables of Jesus were told today, it might sound something like that. So you all probably know what a storage locker is. You've heard of a Picasso before. This is all relatable to you. You understand this. When Jesus told the parables, they were understandable and relatable to his audience as well. They knew what he was talking about. We're going to read a couple of parables today. We're going to study them together. And as we do that, we're going to try to understand them from the perspective of the original audience. We're going to fill in some of the details a little bit like Jesus likely did so that we can try to get a sense for what were they feeling? How were they hearing this? And what can we take away from it? Before we do that, before we read from God's word, I'm gonna ask us all to bow our heads and let's just pray and ask him to speak to us. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It is true. We believe every bit of it. And we're gonna read some of it today and try to learn from you how you want us to apply it to our lives. This is teaching that is timeless. It's from your son. It's from Jesus. And, and, and we pray, Holy Spirit, to, that you would illuminate this to us Help us to understand what we can take away from it and help it to not just be something that we hear today and it floats out of our mind this afternoon and it's gone by lunch. But I pray that this would be a Monday through Saturday kind of teaching, that we would take away some things that would change the way we live our lives this week as followers of you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you or you can open up a Bible app on your phone, go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13 is where we're going to be. There are a lot of parables in this chapter. 
And a lot of them have to do with the kingdom of heaven. That's what we'll be talking about today. You're going to hear that phrase so much, you're going to get sick of it by the end of this message. But we're going to talk a lot about the kingdom of heaven. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 44. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. You know that I like to add a little bit of historical flavor in here as well so that you understand that parables were not just something that Jesus did. They were something that was a rabbinical mainstay. Rabbis used parables to teach. And we have a lot of these recorded for us, written down, so that we know the hidden treasure motif was actually a really common thing among rabbis. Jesus was not doing anything unique there. He's just applying it a little bit differently. Rabbi Simon told a parable about a man who inherited a plot of land in a faraway country. And when he inspected that place, he found nothing but just garbage and junk. So he sold it for a little bit of money, thought, at least I can get something out of this, and went back home and didn't think anything about it. A little bit later, he heard that the man he sold the land to had pulled away all the junk and found stockpiles of silver and gold and other precious metals and pearls. And the man who inherited the land was sick with grief because he had let such a treasure slip through his fingers. And the man who purchased the land, not knowing this treasure was there, was overjoyed. Rabbi Simon told this parable to try to help people to understand how the Egyptians felt when they finally let the Israelites go. They didn't know the treasure they had, and they let it slip away. I don't know why Rabbi Simon felt people needed to really understand that feeling, but he wanted people to understand that the Egyptians let a great treasure slip away when they let Israel slip away. In fact, Exodus tells us, the book of Exodus, that the Egyptians said, why did we do this? Why did we let the Israelites get away? So Jesus tells two parables like this that are based on the hidden treasure motif. Two parables that are all about the kingdom of heaven. That's Jesus' point. Not the Egyptians, but the kingdom of heaven. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is like this. And we're going to explore what each of these parables means. But it's important to understand something first. When we read the parables in scripture today, we are getting a condensed version. We're not getting the full parable. We know this because when you read the same exact parable in different books of the Bible, different gospels, there are different details that are shared. So we know that for this given parable, Matthew left these details out but Mark included them, and in this, or or Luke included them, and in this parable, Luke left some stuff out that Matthew included, and so we know that there's things that they kind of selectively chose to leave out, and it's because Jesus gave so many great parables and had so much teaching and did so many incredible things, it can't all be written down. It can't all be fit in there, and so they selectively pulled things, and they condensed things, and what we are reading as one sentence of a story is probably a synopsis of a story similar to what I told at the beginning. Something that's a little more fleshed out, something that has a little more color to it, a little little more interest. Jesus was a phenomenal storyteller. He probably didn't just give this one-sentence story. He probably told something a little bit more developed. And when we read the parables of other rabbis, they're often a bit more developed than what we see in the text in our passage today. And even some of of Jesus' other parables are a little bit more developed. So we've got this condensed version of the parable, and we want to understand how would they have heard this. And so we have to add some things to it just to kind of get a sense for, okay, how would they have heard this story? 
I'm gonna try to, to fill out the details a little bit for you on each of these parables. And I'm gonna do it in a way that, that I think is, is as faithful to the text as possible, but still gives us a little bit more to chew on and understand maybe how his original audience would have heard these. In the first parable, there's this guy walking through a field. He's just a regular guy. There's nothing special about him. He's probably um, taking a shortcut through the field. That's why he's walking there. It's not his field. He doesn't own it. He's not surveying the land. He's not out looking to buy property. He's just a regular guy, maybe on his way home from work, and he's cutting through a field. And as he's going, he stumbles across a rock. And when he kicks this rock with his shoe, it moves a little bit and he sees some coins sitting there. He goes, that's interesting. So when he dropped these out of their pocket and gets down and he starts to move another rock and there's more coins under there. And he moves a big rock away. There's hundreds of coins down here. This is incredible. This is the most amazing thing I've ever found. And he probably kind of gets up and looks around like, is anybody else seeing this? Uh, Hope not. And what does he do? He covers it back up, right? Puts it back the way it was. Maybe puts a few extra rocks on there just to make sure nobody else sees this. He could take the treasure for himself right now, but that wouldn't really be honest. He doesn't own this land. He doesn't own anything that's found on this land. And he is actually an honest man. He's not going to just take this treasure and walk away with it. So he covers it back up the way it was before. Now, it's not unusual. If you're the people listening to this parable, you would understand this. It's not unusual to bury your valuables like this in the ground back then. It was a very normal thing to do. Today, we wouldn't consider that necessarily to be the best investment advice. But back then, this area of the world was constantly changing hands. You had the Assyrians coming in, the Babylonians and the Ammonites and all these different people who were always trying to take over this place. And so it was a normal thing if you had some money that you wanted to have like an emergency fund to go in your yard or your farm somewhere, find a spot, dig a hole, put your treasure in there, put some kind of special rock or something over it so you could find it later. And that way you had this emergency fund stashed there. In fact, um, back uh, in the 1990s, I think it was 1998, uh, some archaeologists found a stockpile of silver coins that dated back to hundreds of years before Christ that had been left there for just such a purpose, just buried in the ground. In fact, the Qumran caves, I don't know if you've ever heard of these these caves in southern Israel where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. One of the scrolls there was literally a list of treasure and where it was buried. Wouldn't you like to be the person that found that scroll? Like this is all the places we put silver over here, we put gold over here. So this is a normal thing to do. You'd bury your, your treasure sometimes and then maybe the owner of that treasure passes away Maybe they forget where it's located. Who knows what happens? But at this point, these coins here are probably, probably older coins that the owner didn't even know were there and weren't put there by the owner. So when, um, when this man walks through, this regular guy, maybe the rains had come through and washed some, things, some dirt away and it made it easier for him to see. I don't know. But somehow he was able to see this treasure that no one could see before. So he put some some dirt and rocks back over the treasure. He goes to the owner of the land. And he says, I'd like to buy this property from you. And it's clear that the owner doesn't know about the treasure. Now let's pause there for a minute because this has raised for some people some questions about the ethics of this parable that Jesus tells. Was the man wrong to not tell the owner about the treasure? One thing I'd like to say about that is that's not the point of the parable. 
And so a lot of times we try to pull meaning out of parables that is not really the point of the parable at all. That's not the main message of it. And so Jesus is not trying to get us to think about whether it was right or wrong for this man to cover it and then go talk to the landowner about it. But based on the rabbinical codes of the time, it probably would not have been wrong at all for him to do this. It probably would not have been unethical. It's a little like if you want to think about it from your perspective, go back to that storage locker story earlier. Put yourself there with the drawer. You see something inside that's incredibly valuable. No one else knows it's there. The company that owns that locker doesn't know it's there. Do you have an obligation to go to them and say, hey, I know you're about to sell this to me tomorrow for $10,000, but it's actually worth $28 million. Like, are you obligated to let them know about the treasure that you found? Probably not. I mean, maybe, maybe you'd want to do that. I don't know. But the bottom line is that's not the point of this parable anyway. So the ethics of whether or not it was okay for this man to go purchase land knowing that it had a treasure on it are not the main point of the parable. That's not what Jesus is trying to tell us about. As far as this owner knows, it's just farmland. He is selling the land based on what he thinks it's worth which does not include the value of the treasure in it. But the treasure finder knows the incredible value of what is in this land. So what does he do? He goes back home and he has a massive garage sale. Except they didn't have garages, so he had a stable sale. And he got his donkey and he got his favorite pair of sandals and he got his dishes and all the clothes except for the clothes on his back. He got everything he had together. He brings it all together. He's just selling it like crazy. Letting everybody know, hey, you can buy my stuff, buy my stuff, take it all. He takes it for less money than it's worth. Why? Because he wants to get as much money as he can so he can go back and buy that plot of land. And he's left with nothing but the clothes on his back and a bag of money. And he goes back to the owner and he purchases that plot of land. Now, any poor or middle-class person hearing this parable will be listening like this, eyes wide open. It's like, it's like for us today hearing about somebody winning the lottery. It's like, whoa, that's amazing. You know, all of a sudden millions of dollars. That's what it was like for them. This was winning the lottery. It's like, oh, that'd be so cool. They're listening like crazy here, wanting to know what is he going to say next. I want to get into the meaning of that parable. But before we do, I want to talk about the next one because they're so closely related. That was the parable of the hidden treasure. This is the parable of the priceless pearl. Jesus tells the story about a merchant who is, because he's a merchant, he's wealthy. He's out looking for choice pearls. He's a pearl collector. He knows what he's looking for. He knows what he's seen when he sees a good pearl. He's got money to spend. And one day he's looking at some pearls in a little shop when he spots something new that he's never seen before. It's a pearl that is bigger and more perfect and more pristine. It has more luster. It's just an incredible pearl to look at. And he knows that this is the best pearl he has ever seen in his life. And he just has to have it. And so this wealthy man, this merchant, sells everything he has, which is a lot, to be able to get this pearl. What does that mean? That means that the shop owner kind of knows what he has. This is not the case where an owner doesn't know what he has and lets it go for a a small price, but that's still a big price to the regular guy who sells everything he has to buy the land. This is a merchant who has a lot of money, has a pearl collection already. He sells all of that, all of his other pearls, all his nice things, all his fancy stuff. He sells everything he has, Jesus says, so that he can own this one pearl. Because this one pearl is the most beautiful thing he has ever seen. And he just has to have it. Now, we would call that reckless, right? We would call that foolish to sell everything you have just to get one thing that you can't really do anything with but look at. We would call that really foolish, but that's how valuable this pearl was to him. Jesus is making a point from an extreme example 
of this pearl is so incredibly valuable. He'd, he'd rather lose everything else if he could just have this one thing. And just as maybe you could imagine yourself in the storage locker story, Jesus' listeners are imagining themselves in these stories about the hidden treasure and the priceless pearl. And these parables always have a deeper meaning. It's not just about finding hidden treasure. So what is it that Jesus is communicating here? What's the treasure? What's the pearl? How are we to understand the kingdom of heaven when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like these things or these situations? What does that mean? And there have been all sorts of theories and and ideas about how we should interpret these parables. And so you may have heard this passage preached on before, and you may have heard someone give a completely different application than what I'm going to give today. Because through the centuries, it's been a common thing for people to look at parables and try to allegorize them and find extra meaning in them that probably was not originally intended. And so we look at the individual words, we look at the field, we look at the treasure, we look at the pearl, and we try to figure out what did this mean and what did that mean? And we go all Da Vinci's code on these parables, trying to figure out all the hidden meaning that's there when Most of the time, parables have a relatively straightforward meaning, even though it might be hard to discern sometimes. And there isn't a lot of extra stuff that we have to analyze to figure out all this extra meaning that may be there. Some people think that the field has special significance, and they'll reference another parable about the the sower scattering seed on the field, and that being the world. And so the field represents the world, and they find all this extra meaning that that almost certainly is not what is intended when Jesus gives this parable. The field is just the setting. It's where it takes place. It's where the treasure is found. The treasure hunter, the merchant, the, the pearl, these are, these are loose representations of things that may not have a tight connection to anything in particular that we are supposed to walk away from and say, okay, this represents this, and this represents this, and this does this to this, and therefore this means this. That's, that's not really the point of a parable or what Jesus is trying to get across. This is a similitude parable. It's a parable that says something is like this experience. Something is like this situation. Some people will even take the wording of these two parables and they'll try to find extra meaning in that because they see in the first parable, the kingdom of heaven is like the treasure that is found in the field. And in the second parable, the kingdom of heaven is like the merchant who is looking for choice pearls. And and I studied this a lot this week to try to make sure I understood, okay, what's going on here? Is there really some significant difference here? And the the reality is in all likelihood, and, and most scholars seem to agree on this, The point of the parable is not to say in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is the treasure. And in this parable, the kingdom of heaven is the merchant searching for a pearl for some reason. That's probably not the point. The point is the kingdom of heaven is like this situation. The kingdom of heaven is is almost like the, the experience or the emotion when this situation happens. Let me tell you a story that will give you kind of the feeling of what the kingdom of heaven is like. That's likely what Jesus is trying to get across here. Some have suggested that in the first parable, the disciples are the treasure hunters. In the second parable, that God is the merchant. Some have suggested that the pearl is the church because, and here's the the rationale behind this, the pearl is the church because pearls start organically from a piece of material that caused an oyster great pain, and the church started organically from Jesus experiencing great pain, so the pearl must be the church. And those kinds of allegorical readings of this probably are not um, accurate. Or, or there's another one that the treasure hunter selling everything represents the atonement of Jesus. And there, there are many, many of these. I just want to mention those because there's a good chance you've come across those at, at some time. And what you're going to hear me say is, is probably different than some of the ways these have been preached. And, uh, and I want you to know why. There are lots of theories 
about how to pull extra meaning out of the parables that probably was not originally intended. It's pushing beyond what the parables were meant to do. Parables, you'll recall from the first message in this series, take high-level truths, they make them easier to understand. They don't typically function as riddles where each element is meant to be discerned and draw extra meaning from every aspect of that parable. That's not what they're there to do. So the theories and the the allegories, probably not what these parables mean. The question then is, what do they mean? And most scholars today will say that there are two primary points to these parables, two things that Jesus is intending to communicate to his listeners. And the first one is the value of the kingdom, the value of the kingdom. And the second one is the cost of discipleship, the cost of being a part of that kingdom. Let's talk about the kingdom of heaven for a little bit. A lot of Jesus' teaching was about the kingdom of heaven. You need to understand that when the Jewish people talked about heaven, a lot of times that was a placeholder for God. Talking about anything to do with God, the the realm of God, the reign of God. They didn't want to say God's name because they might accidentally take it in vain. And so they would say other things like blessed one, or they had different words they would use to refer to God. The kingdom of heaven is like saying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Christ, or the kingdom of God's son, or the kingdom of light. All of these terms refer to the kingdom of God. It's anywhere where God reigns and rules. It's anywhere where his will is done, where where people and things are following the will of God. That is the kingdom of heaven. But the Bible tells us about two spiritual kingdoms. There's the kingdom of heaven, and there's the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of Satan, the rulers and principalities of the air, are a part of this kingdom. It's a kingdom of darkness, kingdom of the world. In Colossians, last year, we did this book study of Colossians. In the first chapter, Paul says, for he rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the same kingdom. Who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about the old life being gone and us having a new life. It's the same idea of being transferred into this new kingdom from darkness into light, from the world into heaven, moving out of that kingdom into this kingdom. When Adam and Eve were tempted in the garden, they transferred when they sinned from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom, or from the kingdom of heaven, rather, the kingdom of God into the kingdom of darkness. They chose to follow Satan instead of follow God. And in that instant, they shifted allegiances. They switched out of God's kingdom into Satan's kingdom because now they're doing Satan's will instead of God's will. And after that point, every child that would be born to them and every grandchild would be born into the kingdom of darkness instead of the kingdom of heaven that they came from. And that's why on and on and on and on, we have this problem of our children being born into the kingdom of darkness. And for proof of that, you need to look no further than my children. They were born into the kingdom of darkness. I assure you, yesterday was a prime example of that. Sometimes you just wonder, like, what is going on there? But they're born into the kingdom of darkness. What do we expect? We did not have to teach them how to sin. We didn't have to teach them how to scream or hit or yell or bite or any of that stuff. They do it all on their own. Trust me, we don't teach them to do that. We really don't. They figure it out. They're in the kingdom of darkness. And we pray and we work and we teach so that they will one day be transferred into the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of light. What's really interesting about this is that Revelation talks about a time in the future when the whole world will finally become part of Jesus' kingdom. It's in chapter 11 of Revelation, verse 15. 
the angels are blowing their trumpets. The seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices shouting in heaven. The world has now become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he will reign forever and ever. See, it's not that way right now. We don't live everywhere in this world is not a part of the kingdom of heaven right now. And we know that. And you don't have to look very far to see that. You can turn on the TV or get online. If you dare read things on Twitter, you will see not everyone is a part of the kingdom of heaven. Not everything is done according to God's will right now. But praise God, one day in the future, we know because Revelation tells us it will all be subjected and part of God's kingdom. One day, his reign will be over everything. But right now, it's not that way. And Jesus is teaching these parables to help his followers or soon-to-be followers in some cases understand this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. This is what it is like. This is how you should think about it compared to the kingdom of darkness. It is worth selling everything you have for because it's so valuable. It's worth risking everything you own. It's worth losing everything else. That's how incredible God's kingdom is, how much you should want to be a part of God's kingdom. All of Jesus' teaching focused on the kingdom of heaven and how different it was from the world and how people in the kingdom of heaven will operate differently and how we should pray that God's will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven and then go live that out. Jesus said that rich people would have a hard time with it. See, rich people have so many goods and so many things, they don't think they need anything else. And so it's really hard for them to even imagine getting rid of everything they have and being a part of the kingdom. That's why Jesus, do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and wants to be a part of the kingdom, wants to have eternal life? What does Jesus tell him? Go sell everything you have and you will gain great treasure in heaven. Now, was Jesus telling him that in order to get into the kingdom of heaven, he had to go buy his way there? No, not at all. What Jesus was demonstrating was that this man valued something way more than the kingdom of heaven. He said he wanted to be in the kingdom. He said he wanted eternal life with God. But the truth was he valued his stuff on earth more. And Jesus was pointing that out and saying, would, would you be willing to get rid of everything you have to be in the kingdom? Not because that's how it works, but because it pointed out the flaw in this man's thinking and in his heart. He valued something, his stuff, way more than he valued the kingdom of heaven. And the point Jesus is making here is that the kingdom of heaven is incredibly valuable. It's so valuable and worth it that, that everyone from the poor to the wealthy should want to be willing to sell everything they have. The, the poor guy walking through the field, the wealthy guy collecting pearls, you should be willing to sell everything you have because the kingdom is that valuable. It is that important. It's why Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything you have. He's making a point. If you just step back and think about this, I'm on this earth for maybe 80 to 100 years, right? How long is eternity? How long am I in this world versus in the kingdom of heaven? Like if I were to stretch it out across this stage and try to find the spot that represents my life on this world and your life on this world, could my fingers get small enough to represent it in proportion to eternity? It's not, it doesn't even register. And yet we live like the stuff that happens here is more important than what happens here. Don't we? It's exactly what this rich, run, rich young ruler was doing. It's what Jesus was pointing out. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, it's worth everything. It's worth everything you got. 
There is nothing you have that you hold on to right now that you love so dearly that you wouldn't be willing to get rid of that is not nothing compared to the kingdom of heaven. It is so much more, so much more valuable. You know, I have, I have counseled people who have had to sell nearly everything they had to pay off their debts. It is not a fun thing to do. But when Jesus tells this parable about the man who bought the field, it says something, he says something very interesting. He finds the treasure, he covers it up, he goes back home, and it uses this phrase, with joy, he sells everything he has. With joy. He got everything he owned and just gave it away. Here, you get this and you get this just for a little bit of money. Just just give me something a little bit. I don't even need a lot. I'm just going to sell everything I have with incredible joy. Why? I'm getting rid of all my stuff and I'm joyful about it. How can that be possible? Because I know what's in store for me is so much better than what I had before. It doesn't even compare with reckless abandon. I'll get rid of all the stuff that I was attached to, that I loved, the heirlooms that I said I'd never get rid of. I'll get rid of it all because this is so much more valuable. That is Jesus' message about the kingdom. The kingdom is so far and away more valuable than anything we could possibly have. So what does this mean for you and me? What do we do with this information? Jesus is not saying that there's some price we have to pay to enter the kingdom. He's not saying that we have to earn our way there. Not at all. We know that that is true. But there is still a price that we pay for being a part of the kingdom, isn't there? We don't feel that all the time, especially in this country. We don't feel that as often as, as other brothers and sisters in Christ do around the world. I mean, yeah, sometimes we get ridiculed. Christians get made fun of a lot. You'll see, you'll see Christians portrayed the wrong way in movies and media, and maybe it bothers you a little bit. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a part of the kingdom, there's some prices to pay sometimes for standing up for what you believe in. You might lose your job in some instances. In some cases, you may lose some friends. You may lose some family members. You may have relationships that go away because of your stance, because you're part of the kingdom of heaven, because you want God's will to be done in your life and you're gonna do God's will in your life. And not everyone likes that. And so there's a price to pay sometimes because our perspective from the Bible clashes with the world's perspective and its agenda. But here's the thing. The kingdom of God is worth it all. The kingdom of God is worth it all. And we have not even begun to see what happens when Christians are seriously persecuted, when Christians seriously lose everything for being a part of the kingdom. We don't understand it like our brothers and sisters around the world right now. The persecution that happens for those that say they trust in Jesus is incredible. We are incredibly blessed. I do wonder if in the next couple of decades, we are going to see some changes there. If we are beginning to see a trend where Christians more and more are more persecuted, do have a difficult time because of our faith in God. We don't understand this parable the way people in the first century would have. And we don't understand it the way our brothers and sisters around the world do. We may in the near future. The kingdom of heaven is worth losing everything for. Paul writes in Philippians what is probably calling back to these parables. At least it's exactly the same theme. He says, I once thought these things were valuable. He's talking about all the stuff from his past, the stuff that he did, the good things that he did and had. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord being a part of his kingdom. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as what? Garbage, it's rubbish, it's, it's nothing 
I counted all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. Not because by doing that I earned that, but because all that stuff doesn't matter to me now that I'm in his kingdom. It's so much more valuable. Being a part of the kingdom of heaven changes everything for us. It changes our wants. It changes our desires. It changes our allegiances. It should change what we value and what we prioritize. Colossians chapter 3, we, we went through this in detail a few months ago, so I won't spend a lot of time on it. But I want to read a passage where Paul is, is talking about the, the difference between heaven and earth. This is very instructive for us. He says, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, that's that transfer from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. Set your sights on the realities of heaven. Where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand, think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Those are those two kingdoms, darkness and light, world and heaven. For you died to this life, the old kingdom. Your real life is hidden in Christ with God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, remember one day Revelation says... The whole world is going to see and going to be part of his kingdom. That's coming. When Christ is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So here's what you need to do. Given this reality, given the fact that you were transferred from this kingdom to this kingdom, from darkness to light, from world to heaven, all of that, here's what you need to do. Put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with, and here's the list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. For a greedy person is an idolater. Why? Because anytime we're greedy like that rich young ruler, we're taking stuff of this world, stuff of the kingdom of this world, and we're saying it's more valuable to us than God and his kingdom. Don't be greedy because to be greedy is to be an idolater, worshiping the things of this world instead of God. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world. That's that old kingdom. But now is the time to get rid of, and here's another list, anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature. In other words, you used to be a part of this kingdom, the world, the darkness. Now you're part of this new kingdom. Act like it. Live like it. Put on the clothes of a participant, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You are in that kingdom now. Strip off the old sinful nature. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. What an awesome thing we are called to do. He says in this life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew, a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free, all the things. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us who have trusted in Jesus. This is Paul saying, the kingdom of heaven is so much more valuable than all the stuff we hold on to, all the stuff we value, all the stuff we prioritize. We may not understand the value like people around the world do sometimes, but we definitely understand the temptation to value the things of the world, don't we? We very much understand the pull that they have on us compared to the things of God. The kingdom of heaven is so valuable that we should be willing to give up everything else for it. Everything we have for God's kingdom. Not because we can earn it. Not at all. Because Jesus is giving it to us. And as members of that new kingdom, we should want to live differently. The things of the world, the things of the old kingdom should have no pull on us. I know they do, and Paul talked about this. 
They do have a pull on us, but we need to reject them and put that to death and take off that old sinfulness and fully give in to God's kingdom because it's worth so much more. I wanna get really practical here in the, in the last two minutes. Really practical. Three things for you to take away from this. The first one is we need to give up anything that goes against God's will. We need to give up anything that goes against God's will. And I know that almost goes without saying, and yet, don't we have such a hard time doing it? Don't we have such a hard time with that stuff that we just want to hold on to, that we have felt God prompting us and leading us to say, you need to give this up for me. This is taking you away from me. This is, in many cases, this is sinful thinking. This is wrong behavior. This is from the kingdom of this world, not the kingdom of heaven. And yet it still stays there. We've talked in the past about it's like your life is this house and you've got different rooms of the house. And in the living room, there's Jesus. And in the kitchen, there's Jesus. And that closet, we don't go over there when Jesus is around. We don't talk about that closet at church. That's my private place that I haven't really let Jesus into. This is what Paul is talking about. Put to death the sinful things of the world. Get rid of them. And why wouldn't you? The kingdom of heaven is worth so much more. Remember that list from Colossians 3. Paul mentioned sexual immorality, impurity, lust, greed, anger, rage, slander, lying, all of those things. They have to go. Number two, we need to be willing to give up some good things that have become idols to us. That's the message of the rich young ruler. It wasn't that he had things that was the problem. There were many wealthy people who were incredible, incredible followers of Jesus. There were wealthy people who supported his ministry and donated to keep his ministry going. How do you think they got food and, and traveled around and did everything they did? They had people donating money to them. There were wealthy people who were tremendous Christians. That's not the issue. The issue is that he valued it more than God and his kingdom. And we struggle with that, don't we? Especially here, I think, in this country and in this community even, not, not all of us necessarily, but the, the ability to have things, the ability to just walk into the store and, and buy what we want, it makes us feel very self-sufficient. There are good things that we are engaged in that have become so important to us that they take us away from the kingdom of heaven. There are good things that we prioritize so much in our life that we have no time for God's word. We have no time for talking with him in prayer, but we have time for this. We don't have time to serve other people, but we have time to do that fun thing that we want to do. That's a good thing. It's not a sinful thing, but it has become a sinful thing because it's become an idol to us because it has been viewed as more valuable than things of the kingdom. We have to be willing to give up some good things that have become idols to us. And finally, we need to treasure the kingdom of God. If there's one major takeaway from today and one major takeaway from these parables of Jesus, it's that the kingdom is so valuable that it should just capture our attention. We are a people distracted, aren't we? Distraction, 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 distraction all over the place. When you leave here, you will be filled with distractions. Tomorrow morning, there will be all sorts of distractions. The merchant who found the incredible pearl, got rid of every single distraction just to look at this one pearl. Why? Because it was so amazing. It was so valuable. The kingdom of heaven is like that. It is so incredible that we should just get lost in the fact that God has made us to be a part of his kingdom. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ, if you have transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, the kingdom of heaven, then you have something so incredible that everything else pales in comparison. And you can just 
gaze at that and worship God and praise him and say, Lord, thank you for what you have done for me. Nothing else even compares to this. We need to treasure and value God's kingdom. We're going to have a chance to do that in a moment. Our band's going to come back out in a little bit. I'm going to pray, and they're going to come back out, and we're going to sing a song to Jesus and thank him for what he's done for us. And as we do that, remember the kingdom. Treasure God's kingdom. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to study your word, to hear about your kingdom and how valuable it is. Thank you for these parables that are written down and recorded for us. We're so blessed to have this teaching to remind us of what really matters and what's really important. My prayer, Lord, is that number one, you would help those of us who are a part of your kingdom to really treasure it and value it, to understand how much more important it is than anything else we could possibly have or do or hold on to. Maybe there are some things this week that we need to give up because they're taking our attention off of you. They're not a part of your kingdom. Lord, help us to have the discernment. Give us your your conviction of your Holy Spirit to guide us in those things. Lord, there may be people who have never transferred who are still a part of the kingdom of the world. They've never trusted in you. Lord, my prayer for them is that you would touch their heart today and show them who you are. Show them that you are real. Show them that you want them to be a part of your kingdom. God, I pray that they would come up after the service and talk with one of our prayer team members and learn how to become a part of your kingdom so that their life could be transformed. The old could pass away. They could have new life in you and you could lead them for the rest of their life into eternity, into your kingdom forever. Jesus, we praise you now. We glorify you now because of what you've done for us. Because what you did in your kingdom is so much more valuable than anything we could possibly have. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.